Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And before we get started, we want to remind everybody that you can get a week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting the fine folks over at betterhelp.com psychcentral. In today's show, we're going to talk about money. Why? Because it's the root of all evil. No, that's the love of money. Ah, well, I think that a lot of people in our society and certainly a lot of our listeners will admit that we don't understand money as much as we think that we do. Everybody has money problems. Everybody wants money. We all need money to live. Money is everywhere, but we don't really think about it in a meaningful way. And this show is going to help us think about money in a more intentional way. So we want to be a participant with our money rather than just, you know, allow it to lead us around. And that's why we have an excellent expert on the emotions surrounding money, financial management, and things like that. Her name is Kane Quarter. Kane, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. We are very glad to have you here. Obviously, doing a show on money took an expert. And what's, we want to talk first about your qualifications, because you're not just a financial manager. Um, not that you know, financial managers aren't helpful, but you, you've, you've, got, you've got some therapy skills as well. Yeah. So I was a financial advisor for 15 years and worked with you know, some of the bigger companies, Ameriprise Financial, Morgan Stanley, New York Life. Um, but what I found was, couples needed help with more than just the numbers. There was anxiety and trauma and all kinds of things just blocking them from living their best life and really executing on the financial plans that I would make for them. So I decided to go to school to get my master's in mental health counseling. So I am now a psychotherapist. So I specialize in financial therapy. Financial therapy. Yes. That, that sounds fun, honestly. Yeah, really. <laughs> I thought it sounded like two bad words. It's, it's like, lie down on this pile of cash instead of a sofa. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I well, should I, get like a, a couch made out of cash. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, I, I think that's what's interesting is you're right. Money can lead to trauma. I really do yes. believe that everybody has gotten in a fight with somebody over money. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that there's Ooh, anybody yeah. that hasn't gotten in an argument about money. And yep. can, can you speak to that a little bit? Why are we willing to fight so hard for money when we're also supposed to not be greedy? We sort of have mixed messaging when it comes to how money plays a role in our lives. Yeah. And I'm going to try to see if I can give you the short answer to that. Our money decisions are not conscious. They're actually made unconscious um, because they're triggered by things that happened to us in the past because the brain codes it as either bad or good. And so based on that coding that the brain has assigned to it, we evoke emotion. And so whatever that person does with the money or doesn't do with the money, it clicks something inside of us and then we have this reaction. So a lot of what we're dealing with when it comes to money is just patterns, 
patterns that were put in place actually before age three. So 85% of our money beliefs are already in place before age three. Age three. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know what money was at age three. How, do, how does that exactly. work? Is that so how before is you the, even got your first paycheck, your first dollar, you were watching things happen about money, right? You were hearing money is the root of all evil or the love of money. And you might have deleted the love of money and just heard money is the root of all evil, right? Or you heard we can't afford it. Or you heard put that back. That costs too much, you know, mm, or we can't true. have this, it, you know. Yeah. So all of those messages get implanted way before we actually make our first dollar. That's interesting that you say that because I, I distinctly remember a, a, a thing that happened when I was quite young. There was some toy or whatever that I wanted and I pointed out to my grandmother and apparently it was too much money and she said, do you know how much that is? And of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm four years old. I'm like, no. <laughs> and she pulls, she pulls out some bills and she says, that's like six of these. And I'm looking at that's a piece of paper, grandma. I, 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 I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, you know, it has a number on it, but whatever. But yes, yep. you're right. I remember that even though I didn't grasp the concept of, of the value of the money, I, I did get that distinct message that these things are too expensive. So we can't. Absolutely. Yep. And that's the message is that many of us pass down to our children unconsciously, of course. You know, they don't need to pass down these um, limiting money beliefs, but it's just what was passed down to them. So I have the story. I remember, similar to yours, I remember the first time I took my nephew. He probably was five or six. I took him to the store to buy a Mother's Day gift for my sister. And he had $10. And it must have been no tax day because I remember the thing that he bought for my sister ended up being like $9.99. $9.99. He gave the lady the $10 bill. She gave him a penny back. And he cried. And he was like, I gave her $10 and she gave me a penny. <laughs> he was so hurt because he did not understand that exchange. And I, at that moment, I realized just how powerful money was. Well, and what's interesting, you know, when you mentioned kids understanding money, along those same lines, I remember taking my little brother from Big Brothers and Big Sisters to a hockey game. And he wanted to buy a Mountain Dew and I gave him the money for the Mountain Dew. And when he got there, they gave him the wrong change or what he felt was the wrong change because a, a bottle of Mountain Dew was only a dollar <laughs> because that's how much it was. No, at the, right. In real life. <laughs> yeah. In real life at the, at the, <laughs> at the grocery store where his mother would let him buy it, it was only $1. Yeah. She would give him a dollar yeah. and he would get a bottle. And he was very confused as to why they were taking three fifty. And mm, yeah. very much, but you're right. We start having these money conversations with children very, very young, but here's the thing. This is what, this is kind of what's, you know, confusing me a little bit. You're right. Okay. We do start talking about money with children at a young age. Why aren't we having these meaningful conversations with other adults when apparently we are both consciously and unconsciously having them with children? Such a good question. So what happens is, is, shame and guilt and all kinds of the negative emotions get associated with money. And so, and then there's also some programming where um, people will say that as you're growing up, you know, oh, don't ask them how much that costs. 
right? And so even looking at the prices, if, if you ask how much it costs, you can't afford it, like messages like that, right? What? If you ask how much you cost, it's because you want to make sure that you're paying the right amount. That, that's it. That's all. It's not about afford. So messages like that create this like shame and doubt and guilt and all of these negative emotions associated with money. So if I would like to know how much your beautiful house costs, I have that etiquette, right? If I ask you, right. how is beautiful? How much did you pay for it? Now it's like, like everybody's silent and they're like, oh my goodness, how rude. It is interesting. Some of the other messages that we have that our society believes about money we believe that it is illegal to ask our coworkers how much money they make when in actuality it would be better if we knew because then we could, we would know if we were being underpaid, overpaid, yeah. everybody could negotiate. I mean, I know this is the, I'm, I'm now yeah. explaining unions to people and I, I don't mean to, I just, we believe that it is wrong to ask other yeah. professionals what they make when in actuality, this data is very important. So absolutely. I understand Even in our profession, when you think about it, like there's something that I worked before I was a therapist, I worked with a lot of therapists actually. And this whole like, oh, I do this for the love, I don't do this for the money, that whole conversation would come up a lot. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, wait, you need to check your pricing because you are charging too little. And it's like, well, no, 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 because people won't pay that. Yes, they will. People pay $4,000 for a bag. Why won't they pay for therapy? So a lot of it is mindset because you're not, you feel like you're not worth anymore so you're afraid to charge anymore for your session fee it's interesting that you you bring that up especially the bit about a thousand dollars for a bag a lot of us are are very strange because we will hesitate to pay x dollars for something that is actually useful that we're going to get a lot out of and yet every day we're spending you know five dollars at our coffee shop for something that we're going to enjoy for a few minutes you know yeah where does mm-hmm. this mentality come from? And, and I, so I, I'm not immune to it either. Yeah, absolutely. I am not either. We're human. So a lot of it goes back to that, con- uh, that consciousness. It, well, this is unconsciousness. Unconsciously, we have been programmed that needs are supposed to be inexpensive, right? And wants are expensive. That, that's just, so you, you, you pay for your wants, right? Because this is desire and it's supposed to cost a lot. And this is unconscious. Nobody actually says this. This is just silent belief. So also we believe that we don't know that our emotions are tied into what we spend money on. So we have associated a value with it. Well, that doesn't bring me much value, right? But this does. And so here we go. This is really where we get down to it. We believe that it brings us happiness. When really what it brings us is pleasure. And it's just pleasure is just fleeting. So we're willing to pay for pleasure because it feels like we're going to be happy and fulfilled, right? It doesn't fulfill us, but it does give us pleasure. So things that fulfill us, we don't really know what they are because society doesn't put that on television. And so we don't, our programming is based on TV commercials. Yeah, marketing. Mm-hmm. Unless it comes in a pretty bottle or, you know, or some celebrity is selling it to us, then then it has no value. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. 
Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. So a lot of our purchasing decisions are based on, you know, instant gratification or feeling safety, you know, safety is another big one and, and discussing money is shameful. So we have all of these, you know, emotions that are living inside of us and coming out in, in unconscious ways. How do we get over it? How do we move forward? What's the education point? Yeah. So I started what I call the Prosperity Club. And the Prosperity Club was really put in place to help people, specifically couples, because I work primarily with couples, but help people understand themselves, get a better understanding of yourself so that you can reconcile your emotions around money. And it starts with, Vincent, given that answer about your, your, money, your early money uh, memory, that's one of the questions that I ask pretty much every client, what is your earliest money memory when we're doing financial therapy? And another one is, what is your idea of prosperity? So those two questions give you an understanding of yourself, but here's even more. I'm creating this assessment. Um, Your money mentality is basically your money reality, and your money mentality is your money personality. And it's an assessment I've been working on for a couple years, and it's still in development, but we all have a money mentality and it and it basically breaks down to how what are our negative and positive behaviors around money and so once you understand your money mentality then you can be be able to adjust it because like i said there's a negative and a positive with each money mentality so once you get your money mentality then you can identify the negative and the positive of your money mentality for example one money mentality is the enthusiast and the enthusiast will buy the bar like enthusiasts want to make sure everybody's having a good time they're usually looking for that get rich quick scheme like oh this is going to bring me money this is going to bring me money so they don't really settle on one thing and then make money and you know and save it that enthusiast is really good at gifting and enjoying money but they're not so great at earning and growing and even protecting the money. So let me take a step back. I have created also this thing called the money cycle. And I believe that the money cycle is earn, grow, protect, gift, and enjoy your money. And how you navigate the money cycle is going to determine your lifestyle. Now let's go back to the enthusiast. The enthusiast will buy the bar, right? The enthusiast wants to make sure everybody's having a good time. So when they navigate the money cycle, they don't always make a lot of money. Sometimes they have like a windfall and then they spend it all. So they, they're kind of weak when it comes to earning, but they're pretty strong when it comes to gifting and enjoying money. But if they don't get those other three areas together, they won't be able to gift or enjoy their money much because they won't have much. So if I was working with, an enthusiast, the first thing that we would do was to determine by answering what's your idea of prosperity, how we can improve in the earning part. 
because you got to earn it. It has to come in in order for you to save it or do any of other things. So we'd work on the earning, and then we'd move to the next area of the money cycle and the next area and identify the positives and the negatives, then begin to help them change that programming so that they can stop that pattern that's happening. Well, now I have a label for what I am, apparently. I'm a money enthusiast. I you very it. much oh, are. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah you, you described me to a T right there. Wow. It's very so. true. You have something called Learn Your Money Mind. It's, it's a program that I believe that you developed where you figure out what your money mind is. And as we just established, Vin is an enthusiast. What are the other categories? So there's the spender, the saver, the blamer, the enthusiast, the hero, the artist, and then the last one is called the president because the name of my company is Presidential Lifestyle. And the president is a mixture of all of the money mentalities. Every good or positive behavior of every money mentality the president has. So did you? would you like me to break each one down a little bit? Yes, please. Like real quick, what are the... Quickly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just, just spender, a, just, obviously the spender does that. They're good at spending money. They don't do a good job with the other areas. The saver, great at saving, but don't necessarily enjoy their money. And, you know, they may not even be that great at earning, but they're definitely great at saving. The blamer is always blaming it on some third party, you know, that external locus is like, oh, the man or whoever is to blame why I have no money. But the blamer is good at asking. So they're, they have no problem talking about money. Um, the enthusiast we talked about, the hero, that's the person always giving, paying somebody else's bills. Oh, I got to take care of this person and take care of that person. And then the artist, they have like this love-hate relationship with money. They have the ability to, to earn a good living, but a lot of times they don't even want to talk about the pricing. They're like, oh, we'll talk about that later. So that's all of the money mentalities and kind of their characteristics. Those are very interesting. And Vin, which one do you think I am? On one hand, I want to say saver, but I do enjoy my money. But I, I do save. We, we all know that I save. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. That you, are, you definitely have saver qualities to you, but it's not exclusively that. Uh, you, you do enjoy your money. And I've never bought a round at the bar, but I'm not greedy. I, I, you know, I pay my own way. I'm not the person that everybody says, hey, Gabe's never picked up a, a check. I've, I've certainly picked up the check. I, I'm not miserly is the word that I want to use. You know, it's possible, just possible, I might be presidential. No. Ah. I don't know. Oh. I'm really good, Ben. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yes, um, please. Do people come to you to borrow money a lot? Constantly. And do you, are you, are do you oblige or do you say no? Almost never. I, I, I've, I, I loan, yeah, I, I never loan money. I shouldn't say that I never loan money because I certainly have, but it's, it's okay. very, very strict guidelines. Almost never. So I, yeah. You could, it's possible that you could be a president um, because if you have a handle on savings, you also have a handle on the boundaries, like when to gift and when not to, because usually if you loan money, it truly is a gift. Oh yeah, never um, It's not coming back, right? And if yeah. you're good at enjoying your money, so that means that you, you, you spend a certain amount of it, you know what part is okay to be spent, 
and you're doing a good job saving, so your, your future goals are taken care of, um, which sounds like that's the protection part, um, you could be a president. The biggest reason that I ask is, is of course, not to brag. I learned a long time ago that I am particularly good with money. When my wife and I got married, I learned that she was particularly not good with money. And she and I have worked together seamlessly because she realized that, you know, I was better at it. And we were able to have difficult conversations surrounding money that has allowed our marriage to be stronger and our financial goals to coincide. This really was fascinating because... I, this is not my first marriage. In my previous marriage, we did not have solid conversations around money. We fought about it a lot. We spent money almost in an angry way against each other. Um, there's many reasons that that marriage did not work, but I can certainly mm -hmm. say that our attitudes about money was a factor. So it's very interesting to me to see a healthy attitude about money versus an unhealthy attitude about money play out in my own life. What do people need to know to have reasonable and rational conversations with what is essentially their financial partner in, in a marriage? Yeah, the first thing is you and your partner's money mentality. Know what your partner does with money or doesn't do. And sometimes having that conversation, like I just said, what is your earliest money memory? You know, what, um, what is your idea of prosperity so that you can be, get in line? So I have a, a program called the Marriage Money Mission. And the Marriage Money Mission helps to take that money argument off the table by allowing partners to first, some self-awareness, get to know yourself. And then second, get to know your partner. Then third, acceptance. So you've got to accept who you are. At least just accept that this is who I am. These are my strengths and these are my challenges. And these are my partner's strengths and challenges. And then after you accepted it, then you may want to adjust. So what can we adjust? I'm a three at this area, right? And I, even if I get better, I'm still only going to be a five or a six. So I may not ever be great at it, but at least I'll make some effort for my partner to adjust. And so you both adjust your challenges, work together, being gentle with each other and supporting each other because being a winning team and love, life and money is what really your marriage is about, not competing. And then that last part is the action. So take action towards your plan. Whatever that plan is, you put the plan in place and then you take action. So it's awareness, acceptance, adjust, act. I've noticed that uh, several of my acquaintances who are married maintain separate finances from their spouse. Mm. Is, that a, is that a good is idea? Is a bad thing? It's sad. It's sad for me. Yeah, when I see couples maintain separate accounts, me, I'm going to say most. Most of the time, it's because of two things. One is trust, and the other one is they are not having that conversation. They're over it. They're like, you know, I'm tired of talking about this. You keep doing that. You keep your money. I keep my money. And so they don't trust each other to, to work on the marriage money mission. So they say, well, I know you're a spender, so I want to argue about that with you, so I'm just going to keep my money separate. Or I know you're not going to let me spend. And I don't want to beg you for money, so let's just keep our money separate. Rather than saying, how can we get on the same page financially? What is the right amount of money to spend for us? 
You know, forget what your grandparents did or what your parents did or what society told you. Let's get on this very funny mission. But a lot of times when I see separate accounts, what it boils down to is there's no trust or they just are over that conversation or they even never had that conversation or they're working on the past. So a past relationship, like given your past marriage, it's possible that you could have gone into this marriage saying, well, last time we weren't good at money, so let's keep it separate because I've been down that road before. That's what I see a lot. So I commend you for being able to have that conversation. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's very interesting to hear your answer as both a financial planner and a therapist because it was, it was very interesting. You're like, well, here's the money aspect of it. You know, you've got to get on the same page and agree, which is, you know, excellent financial advice, but it's also excellent marital advice. So it's, it's interesting to see that you're kind of like a cronut. You're like a croissant and a donut all mixed into one. You're like a <laughs> financial marriage therapist. That's uh, that's very interesting. But you're right. Are there any last words for our listeners? What is something that they can take away right now? If they, they, they hit stop when the podcast is over, not before, and then they can go and do this to improve their financial outlook. And by improve their financial outlook, I don't mean make more money. I mean yeah. improve their financial outlook with the exact same amount of money that they have right now. Whenever I meet somebody, I tell them, I have a Facebook group, private Facebook group called Prosperity Club Community. And if they go to kinequarter.com slash Facebook, they can get in. It's free. It's just a place where you'll get tips, tools, resources, and even have conversations about money. So sometimes you just need to be around the conversation or people who are comfortable with money for you to get a little bit more comfortable with money. Now, if you never go any further than that with me, that's fine. Because there's so much in the Prosperity Club that you may get what you need there. Now, let's say you're talking to me and for some reason I get on your nerves and you do not want to hear my voice. Then there's a book by Tony Robbins called Unshakable. And it's a book that I recommend to a lot of my patients. That book, has, it, it breaks it down into chapters for you so that if you just take one chapter a week or one chapter a month, instead of having to like digest in front of a financial advisor um, or sitting in a therapy session, you can take your time and do it on your pace and kind of learn where you want to be just by getting to know yourself or what Tony Robbins put in that book. Thank you for that answer. And for all of the answers that you've given us, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a conversation that I think is very important, and I'm glad to be able to spread it to your audience. And we were glad to have you. Thanks, everyone. Been great, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psychcentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor 
and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.